Good morning. Glad you're here today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for who you are. Uh, and God, in the midst of the world in which we live, the struggles we have with our flesh, uh, sometimes it's so hard for us to see you as you are, and even harder for us to be like you want us to be. So today, God, I pray that in these few moments we have today that you will uh, do a checkup on all of our hearts, and Lord, that you'll examine us, and you'll look to see where we're at so that we can, in the midst of a mess, we can go out and be what you want us to be in this world and make a difference and see many, many souls come to you in faith. I pray that you'll bless us now in Jesus' name, amen. In your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to the book of 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. And remember, last week I, I, I said that we need to speak up, and this week I'm saying shut up. I know, it sounds a little different, but uh, if you recall last week I spent the entire sermon saying how, how powerful our words are, that our words make a difference. Our words make an impact. With our words, we win people to Christ. With our words, we can encourage people and strengthen them. It's imperative that we as followers of Christ speak the truth, that we share the gospel, that we use the scriptures and, and deliver them to others, that we speak good words of encouragement and comfort. We, we need to do that. That's exactly what every one of us need to do. But today I'm taking a little different tack with it, and I'm just saying, you know, sometimes we just need to shut up and stand up. And I know it seems a bit contradictory because Mark chapter 6, 15 says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature means to, to speak, to declare. Romans chapter 10 verse 17 says, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, hearing the words that are spoken, the words that we share, people come to faith in Christ. Romans chapter 10 verse 14 and 15 declares the importance of speaking the gospel, how, how it's essential for us as followers of Christ to do that. In 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15, it says, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a good defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. That phrase, give a defense, means to give a verbal argument. So I understand, and I'm not contradicting myself. Listen to the message today, and I think you'll pick up what I'm laying down. You see, words are just words. That's all they are. Actions are much more powerful. Notice our text. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 15. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Words are important, but actions are so much more powerful. In 2006, Deval Patrick, was a former governor of Massachusetts, said this in a speech. We hold these truths to be self-evident, just words. We have nothing to fear but fear itself, just words. Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country, just words. I have a dream, just words. 
What he's saying is simply this, that words by themselves without actions don't mean a whole lot. Isn't that true? We understand that we can relate to that. Here in our text, notice a couple of things in verse 15. He says, for this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. By doing good, actions, by doing the right things, we can put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. Now, words are powerful. As someone once said, however, actions speak louder than words. Doing good means this. To do good, do something, get this, which profits others. It's not just doing the right things. It's doing something on behalf of and for the benefit of other people to enhance their lives, to do good on their behalf. Also note that Peter says in this, for this is the will of God. This is what God wants us to do as his followers. God wants us not just to speak good things, not just to be good and not just to do the right things, but to do good things on the behalf of others. Put our faith into action for their betterment, for their benefit. Now, we don't always win or influence people by what we say. We'd like to think we do, but we don't. But what we do, on the other hand, can have a major impact. I read several years ago, a young college student came to faith in Christ. It was during a a campus ministry. And I don't know if you've ever been involved with a campus ministry, but they're, they're radically different than normal human being ministries. They typically meet in dorm rooms or coffee shops, and they're very casual. Uh, the, the dress is not the same, the music, I mean, it's just, it's got a whole different vibe. And this young man uh, had, had been one to Christ, and, and so he was going to Bible studies and in dorm rooms in various places, and, and it came to vacation, a Christmas vacation, and he didn't have anywhere to go, didn't have much of a family. So he stayed there, and all the other students had gone off, and, and he had a hunger and a thirst for the Word of God. He wanted to grow spiritually, so he decided he would find a church in the area, never having really participated in formal religion of any kind. And so he, he found this big church in his, uh, near, near the, the college, and it was a very traditional church. And as a college student, he He was a bit late for the services. It was a very powerful church. It was packed to the gills. And so he came in the back, and of course, people looked at him as he was out of place. He had a t-shirt and shorts and flip-flops, and he didn't didn't look like the the traditional church attender there at their church. And and so he came in, and because he was a bit late, he started walking in, and, and, and he noticed that all the back rows were filled. So he started making his way down. And, and as he looked, there were some rows that were seats, but they were way in the middle, and, and he couldn't get to them. And nobody jumped up and said, hey, come on, or move down for him. He, so he just kept moving down, and, and he got down to the front. So he just sat down on the floor. Not for him. That was perfectly normal. 
They sat on dorm room floors as they studied the word of God all the time. It wasn't that unusual for him. But everyone in this very traditional church, they were dressed to the nines. They thought, what is he doing? And about that time, an elderly man started making his way down the front. And everybody watched him. He was in a three-piece suit, had the little watch thing going and walking with this cane. And they thought, well, you know, we know what he's got to do, but he's out of place and he's not one of our normal worshipers. And as he got to the young man, he put down his cane and he sat on the floor next to him. And when the preacher got up to preach, he said, you'll probably never remember what I say here today. But what you've seen, you'll never forget. You see, that old man made that college student feel at home and feel welcome. And he went way out of his comfort zone to do it. Our words are important but our actions put tremendous power behind what we say. You see, the, the truth is, and, and I'm, when I say us, I'm talking about all of us. Sometimes we just, we just do way, much, way too much talking. And if you know me, you're thinking, yeah, you know all about this. And I do. We, sometimes we just way too much talking. We'll say, I, I love the Lord. I just love the Lord. And, and man, we'll just talk about how much we love the Lord. And, and we love our Christian songs. And we can sing all our Christian songs. And we just kind of walk with the halo around us and, and, and just on spiritual cloud nine all the time. And, and we're, just, we're just always talking about how we love him, how wonderful he is. And we have all these wonderful words to speak. But other times... Our words maybe aren't so good. Some, sometimes we as Christians, well, we're real good at condemning, aren't we? We know what's wrong, and sometimes we don't mind telling people that. Amen. I can't believe they do that. Can't believe they dress that way. Can't believe they live like they, that those heathen are going to fry like bacon in hell. I mean, we got it down. We know the things to say. Sometimes we're good at correcting people. You shouldn't use that language. You shouldn't do this. You shouldn't go to those places. You shouldn't. We're real good at our words sometimes, at directing, correcting, and condemning people. Our words sometimes do that. And then at times we're really great when it comes to preaching at people. By that I mean we, we're really good at showing our superior knowledge of the scriptures. Because we know the Bible. And we're really good at defending positions, winning arguments, and uh, putting people down for their total lack of ignorance on theological positions. And sometimes Christians are really good about winning the debate. And while winning the debate, they never win the person. All they win is an argument. And they have good words, educated words, smart words. They're knowledgeable. And yet they rarely win people over when they use words like that. 
You see, if I say and don't do, what will people believe about me? If, if all I do is say and not do, what will, they, what will they believe about me? I'm not saying we shouldn't speak. We need to. Romans 10 makes that clear. What I'm saying is that our actions should reflect our words. Our actions should enhance and reinforce our words. What we say is important. And what we do oftentimes may have a greater impact on people than even what we say. So it's important that we do. Have you ever heard someone say or, or, or say about someone, that person talks a good talk? When I was in uh, Cheyenne, Wyoming, I went to go to the military base to play basketball. And uh, man, we had some guys come in and you walk in and you think, woo! Because they're talking and they got the look going, man. They got the, the socks at the right height. I could never get that down. I didn't know if they were supposed to be high or low. And, and, and they, got the, you know, they got the newest, latest, most important tennis shoes there are. And, and they're, they're color coordinated. I mean, they're, you know, they look good. And, and then I would walk in, and, and a friend of mine, Ron Cannell, and Ron, if you're watching this, you know I love you, buddy. Um, but Ron Cannell would walk in with me, and we looked like a couple of country bumpkins. And, and Ron, uh, he, Ron was about, I think he's like 6'2", or 6'3", but if he had a neck, he'd be like 6'8". Um, and, and, and he just didn't look like a ball player. But when you got Ron on the court, dude could play. He had such a sweet touch. And he had a big body. He was healthy. And he could box out and move people, but if you don't see him walk in, you'd think he wouldn't. You'd be picking these other guys who couldn't dribble if it was coming out their mouth. So people look good, but that's all there is. James put it like this in James 1.22, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. Don't, don't just have the talk. Don't just have the look. Have some action behind it. If all we do as Christians is talk the Christian life and fail to walk the Christian life, he says we are deceiving who? ourselves because I find this when we talk the talk we think we're all that in a bag of chips when the reality is if there's no actions behind it our words don't mean a whole lot so we need to put action to our words Maybe, maybe we need to shut up and stand up and start doing instead. Walt Disney put it like this. The way to get started is to quit talking and begin doing. James also wrote this. But do you want to know, O oh foolish man, that faith without works is dead? What do you got if that's all you've got? If all we do is speak the Christian language without living the Christian life, people will begin to think we're just a bunch of hot air. That we're just thunder and lightning without rain and very little profit in it. So what can we do? 
Well, Peter lines it out for us here in verse 17. We need to stand up and shut up. We need to stop giving lip service to the gospel and the word of God alone. And we need to start living it out for the profit and benefit of others. Peter lists four things here that we can do to put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. Here they are. First of all, honor all people, he says in verse 17. Honor all people. That honor is an interesting word because it means to affix value. To count, to count them as valuable, worthy of respect, worthy of kindness, worthy of consideration, worthy of love. Now, I'm not going to hold a sign and march in a protest or wear a t-shirt telling you what lives matter. I'm not going to do that. But here's what I am going to do. I'm going to tell you what God said. And here's what God said, honor all people, realize every life has value. Now let me go a little bit farther on this. Number one, that little life in the womb of a mother is valuable. We need to affix a value to that and say that life, no matter who it is, where it is, what it is, that life has value. Let's go to the other side of the world. And we have people on the other side of the world that burn the American flag and their whole goal in life is to kill you. Their lives matter. They're valuable. They're significant. They deserve our respect, our kindness, and our love. And here's why. Because if they don't get it, we'll never, ever win them. And that's what we must be doing. That should be our goal. The drug-addled derelict has value. I don't care if they've wasted their life. I don't care if they've made bad choices. I don't care anything about them. What I do know is their life has value. And we need to understand that and fix a value to it and say they're important. Gentlemen, I'll go so far as to say this. Even our mother-in-laws have value. Amen, all mother-in-laws. Every life counts. I'm not saying I have to agree with the life. I'm not saying I have to like the life. But what I am saying is God says, as his children, we need to say those lives are important. And they matter because they're people and they're human. And we need to understand that. Every person of every ethnicity, every person of every uh, intellect. Every, every person of every sexual persuasion is worthy of our respect and consideration. How are we going to put the silence, the foolish, uh, the foolish silence of men? By loving all people. That's how we're going to do it. That's how we're going to be different. We're not going to love some because they're like us and others because they're not. We're going to love them all. And we're going to care about them all because they all matter. I love this verse in 1 Corinthians 4, 7. I like it because it always convicts me. It says, for who makes you to differ from another? And what do you have that you do not receive? 
when we fail to affix value to life, any life, who do we think we are? What makes us so special? See, God created us. We're all created by him. How dare any of us say to anyone else that their life doesn't matter or their life doesn't have value or that they're unworthy of our respect, our time, or our effort. God forbid that we should do that. God didn't come down to draw lines to separate us, but I'll tell you what he did do. He came down and he drew a circle around all of us. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous. God drew a big circle around humankind, and he said, you have all messed up. You have all failed. He drew, he drew that big old circle, and he put us all in it. We're all exactly the same. And then in John 3, 16, it says, for God so loved that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Romans chapter 10, verse 13 says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And I love that because I was one of those whosoevers. My life was not significant. I was not important. I was not educated. I was not moral. And yet God counted me worthy. How dare I look at anyone else and say they're not? We need to stop saying that we value all human life and start doing it. Start showing the love of Christ beyond our words. We need to put action to what we believe and say. We need to start treating others with respect, showing them kindness, proving through what we do that they, they matter to do something for someone else, to be helpful to them, to be there for them, to be kind to them, to encourage them. We need to be like Jesus who took time to, and spent it with an immoral Samaritan woman. We need to be like Jesus and go to the house of a guy named Zacchaeus. And we need to be like Jesus and spend some time with publicans and sinners and show them, you're important to me. I value you. I respect you. I don't have to, because I'm here to tell you, Jesus didn't agree with any of them people. But one thing they all knew when they walked away from him, they never doubted he, that he loved them, that he cared about them. And that should be said about us. Oh, they don't. They don't agree with the way I live. But by golly, I know they love me. That's what we need to be. That's what we need to do. We need to be like Jesus in that sense. In light of recent events in our society, it is essential that we as followers of Christ stop talking about it and just start showing everyone around us how significant they are by doing rather than just saying. The second thing he points out here is this. He says, love the brotherhood. Now, I don't know about you, but that bothers me. It just does. <clears throat> I think it's a sad statement for us 
that as followers of Christ, we have to be told to love one another. I, I understand the first phrase, honor all people, I understand that, sure. But when he says then we're to love the brotherhood, we're to love one another, we're to love our family. That just doesn't make any sense to me. I've got a, I've got a big family. Um, and, and some of them may be watching. If you are, you may want to mute this point. Uh, some of my family just crazy. They're not heads. And if they were up here and preaching, they would say the same thing about me probably. So that's okay. But they're crazy. But they're mine. They're my family. With all their warts and problems and idiosyncrasies, they're mine. And now I look at you. Some of y'all crazy. You do dumb stuff. You have idiosyncrasies, bad habits, poor attitudes sometimes. But you're my family, and I love you anyway. Now here's what bothers me is that God has to tell us that. He has to tell us to do that. And, and that, that's crazy to me because it would seem obvious that as Christians, we would love one another. But the reason he has to say this is because it's not so. There may be some who've walked in our services today and they spotted somebody else and they thought in their mind, I can't stand them. Well, God bless you. I'm so glad you're here today. <laughs> and yet it's true. That's why God wrote it. Because we don't always love one another. In, in Christ, we're to be different because we're one. We're brothers and sisters. Jesus was emphatic about that. Here in this verse, I think it's important for us to understand that this is not an option. He said, these things in John chapter 15, verse 17, these things I command you that you love one another. Now, again, I think, why do you have to command that? It should just be natural. I get saved. The Holy Spirit comes within me. The love of God is in me and moving, and you get saved, and the love, and the way there should just be natural. But he says, no, it's not because you have the flesh. So note the word command here. It means an order or a command that is absolutely to be carried out. In other words, Jesus didn't say, listen, you need to love the people that you like. Or you, you need to love your brothers and sisters as long as they're like you. Or as long as they don't frustrate you or aggravate you or do stupid stuff. He didn't say that. No. He said, I'm not, I'm not making a suggestion here. There's no exception clause, no wiggle room. Jesus orders us to love one another. So those of us that struggle with that will instantly say, well, what exactly does that mean? Because I want to know the boundaries. Well, let me tell you, Jesus covered that. John, 14, John 13, 34, that you love one another as I have loved you. That's how I'm to love you, and that's how you're to love me, just like Jesus did. 
What does that look like? No limits. Romans 5, 8. But God commends his love toward us and while we were what? Yet what? Sinners. Christ died for us. When we were unlovable, he loved us. And that's what we're to have for one another. Love without limits. Jesus said, this is what will set you apart from everyone else in the world. And this was what will demonstrate that we belong to him. John 13, 35. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. That's what makes us different. Not what church we attend, not what creed we hold to, not what we're aligned with in this world. No, Jesus said, when you love one another as I have loved you, then the world will look at you and they'll say they're different. Because we should be. We should love one another. Peter goes on a little further in 1 Peter chapter 4. In verse 8, he says this, And above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospital to one another without grumbling, as each one has received a gift, minister to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Do you see all the action there? Again, it's, it's not just saying I love you, because that's easy to do. Man, I love you, I love you, man, I love you. We say that all the time. But Peter goes on to say, no, no, put some action to your words. Be hospitable. Be generous. Be helpful. Be be caring. Use your gifts to minister to one another to their advantage, to their benefit. Do things that will help them. Action. James addresses the same thing in James chapter 2 when he says this. If we see a brother or sister in need and merely speak words rather than actually doing something, what good is that? So let's just love one another. Let's show one another that we care by reaching out to each other, doing things for one another, and helping one another in any way we can. Because that's what love looks like. Love is an action. This is a real attraction for those who are without Christ, and I'll tell you why. Because everybody in this world wants to be loved like that. They just want to be loved. The third thing he points out is this, fear God. The word fear means to be afraid, to put to flight. It has the idea of being moved to action. (laughs) The gentleman in that video is ha-ha Clinton Dix. The safety for the Dallas Cowboys running like an all-pro. Now, I'm not, I'm not dogging ha-ha because if I'd have been on the back with him, I'd have been gone and he'd have been towards the bear, if you know what I'm talking about. Fear moves us instantly. 
And here, here the word of God says, fear God. We should fear his wrath, his judgment, his person, his authority, his righteousness, and his justice. He is God and there is none other. We ought to fear him and have some respect for him and know that he is a terrible God if you cross him. He is an awesome God. He is just, he is righteous, he is holy, but he is to be feared for who he is. We should fear disappointing him. We should fear letting him down or losing his hand of blessing on our lives. Having a healthy fear of God will move us, move us away from some things. It will draw us and push us and move us towards some things. So here Peter says, you ought to have a healthy fear of God and people should see it in your lives by the way you live. Because fear produces actions. It will move us to submit to him and allow his spirit to move in us and direct us so we can live righteously in Christ Jesus. The fear of God will drive us away from things that put a wedge between him and us. It will drive us to others. It will move us to honor all men. It will move us to love the brotherhood. And the last thing I want to share with you is this. Honor the king. Honor here means the same thing as it does in regard to all people. A fixed value. Count them as valuable, worthy of respect, kindness, consideration, and love. The king means the leader of the people. King, prince, commander, lord of the land. We would say president, senator, Congressman, governor, crud, even our mayor. A broader application would be anyone who has authority over us. In the church, your pastor. At work, your boss or superior. Kids, at home, that means your parents. We're to value them. Respect them, show kindness, consideration, and love. That doesn't mean that they have absolute authority over us. They don't, but we're to respect them. It doesn't mean we have to agree with them or, or give to their contribution, uh, contribution to their campaign, uh, but it does mean we have to respect them. Amen. All of them. Now, I know that sometimes especially with elected officials, it's really, e it's really difficult to find anything we like about them. There's just a sidebar here. Well, then run against them. Throw your hat in the ring. Get after it. But just because we don't like them doesn't mean we shouldn't value them. We shouldn't respect them. That's just wrong. That's what God says. Some justify their dislike, disdain, and maybe even their hatred of our leaders by stating they're nasty people, they're immoral, they're rude, or they hold different views than we do. That all may be true, but here God says, honor the king, show them respect. And people say, well, you don't understand. Think about this. Does anyone here know about the time frame when Peter wrote this particular book? 
It's about 62, 63 AD. Anyone want to venture a guess as to who was the leader of Rome at that time that had authority over Peter and all those others? Anyone want to? His name was Nero. Nero had his mother killed five years after he took control. He was a terrible, tyrannical leader. He was accused of setting the fire of Rome that consumed three quarters of the city. To deflect the blame, he accused Christians. He had them gathered up. Some were torn apart by dogs. Others were burned alive and used as human torches. And yet in that day, Peter said, honor the king. God said, honor the king. Why? Because in Daniel chapter 2 and verse 21, it says this, that God removes kings and raises up kings. See, last I checked, he's got authority over all things. And according to the book of Ephesians, he's working all things after the counsel of his own will. He's not panicked. He's not frustrated. He knows exactly what's going on. So as followers of Christ, we are to respect and affix value to our leaders, trusting that God in his sovereignty has all things under control. So child of God, let us shut up and stand up. Let us prove who we are, or more importantly, whose we are. Start living out our faith with actions and not just our words. Let's go out and live out the gospel before all who see us. And as Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 16, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Live it. God bless you. Have a great week.